from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to the Week on 3 with me, Noreen Mir. We had an awesome week here on 3 with some great interviews that are definitely worth another visit. And that's what this program is for, a chance for us to highlight some of the interviews and programs you may have missed. This week I have selected a few thought-provoking ones all to do with Lantau, from plastic waste to reclamation. Let's start with Monday's Back Chat, where they discussed the Lantau Tomorrow Vision Project. Hosts Mike Rouse and Hugh Chiverton spoke to Ryan Epp, the Head of Land and Housing Research from Our Hong Kong Foundation, along with Jason Poon, the Managing Director of China Technology, and Tom Yam, a member of the Citizen Task Force on Land Supply. And Hugh starts by asking Ryan Epp from Our Hong Kong Foundation about their plans about this and why they support the Lanta Reclamation Project. The obvious reason that why we need this island is uh, we are in serious shortage of housing and land and according to our estimations you know in the next 30 years uh, we will need at least 9,000 hectares of land in Hong Kong and that's almost equivalent to the size of three starting new times and if you count all the currently proposed land, uh, currently proposed uh, land development projects that has uh, been planned by the government, excluding the land out tomorrow, uh, it all adds up to only uh, 3,600 hectares of land. That means we are still in shortage of 5,000 hectares of land. And that is something that, to me, uh, is something that is structural, right? And that makes why the Land Town Tomorrow project is uh, important because it can create a large piece of land, uh, almost uh, you know more than 1,000 hectares. And also the number of public housing that it will provide is more than the three planted NDAs in the new territories combined. So I think uh, that is still a very relevant project uh, at this point of time. Well, can I interrupt, uh, Ryan? You raise an eyeball-raising number of 9,000 hectares of land demand. You said it, right? And you report. May I inform the Hong Kong audience and you, you grossly inflate that number. Yes. The way you did it, Ryan, <laughs> instead of taking old housing that older than 75 years to rebuild a new land, you made a cut-off at 50 years. Okay, that increases the amount of building to be redeveloped from six hundred from three hundred thousand, which is the government plan, to six hundred thousand point one. You inflate the house, you inflate the land required. Secondly, use a plot ratio of three point six for the entire. You know, three point six plot ratio is extremely low. It's a minimum. The government plan for typical development is six. Uh, it, it's six. Oh, so by it. inflating the number of old houses to be developed. By decreasing the plot ratio, you come up with 9,000 hectares. That's not defensible. That's intellectually well, dishonest. Well, if, if, so if, if, Hong Kong people should remember that 9,000 hectares is inflated, cannot be justified, it's entirely makeup of Hong Kong Foundation. You should talk to Stephen Wong that he should retract that number. 
if if my if I may, I think that's not something that's inflated. I think it depends on what kind of vision that we want. Uh, I mean. Our per capita living space is 170 per square feet. Uh, the per, per capita living space of Singapore is two, two, 270 per square feet. So how do you The government have no uh, policy. Have think, no policy. Uh, hold on. I, think there are, I think there are two questions, right? First, if we want to increase our per capita living space to catch up with Singapore, we need 60% more residential land, and that is already a few thousand hectares. And we still want to you know, decrease our population density and... I mean, after this pandemic, I mean, one, if there's one thing that we learn from this pandemic is uh, this kind of outrally high uh, population, outrally high density uh, development is not really uh, feasible, right? We, we need to decrease our population density. Okay, so... But Ryan, but, that, e- uh, but increasing... If, if, if I may, having, if I may... Uh, if having I may, land available, if I may, there's no connection to having if I, a larger... If I may, if I may. No connection whatsoever. Yeah. Land area and living space is no connection. Okay, well, I think there's serious connection because that is... Ha- having enough land, right, is the precondition of having a larger per capita living space and Ryan, decreasing Ryan. population density, right? But, but people how, cannot, how, people cannot how, afford the larger... How, how can you achieve people, that? People I mean, cannot afford uh, larger let, let, flat, okay. right? Cannot how, afford, how, how can you achieve that is you have another policy, right? But that is the precondition. I mean, without enough land and without enough housing, you can never increase per capita but living space. But that condition space, does right? not lead to larger flat. The condition having more land does not need larger flat but because larger flat costs more expensive. People still cannot afford it. No, Tom, a Tom, flat, a Tom, flat it doesn't, in Lantau It doesn't do it by itself. But let Ryan if, give his case. I Go think, but the, thing, but the thing is, well, without, right, without enough land, we can never have larger flats, right? We can You're never right. have a lower population right. density. So having enough land is the pre- precondition. But I'm not saying that having enough land will automatically lead to larger larger flat, lower population density, but you need a lot more policies, right? right? You, you, you may have more public housings, you may have a, la, uh, a, la, a public housing with larger size, but this, this is something that the government should have another policy to handle it. But the thing is, without enough land, all of this cannot happen, right? All of this cannot be realized. So that is to me, the precondition of having a better living environment, of having a you know having a more affordable housing. You missed the earlier conversation we have, meaning that uh, for Hong Kong in the next uh, ten years, the increased population only six hundred thousand, from seven point five to to eight point one, the latest forecast. Okay, six hundred thousand. We have planned already in place to provide living for a quarter million people. That's the combination of Dongchong Extension, the four NDA, Yunlong South, Gamtin South, Longzuikil, uh, and New Territory North. These five projects will provide three quarter million people, whereas the increase in population, only 600,000. So why do you need another well, like, LTV? Like, like what I said, this island is not only for the increase in population, it's also for a better living environment for the existing population by building, okay. by building more flats, uh, okay. you know, by, 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 by having enough land for the decanting well, of the let me old ask you, areas. Let, let, right? let me ask you, Ryan, how does 1,000 hectare in the middle of the sea improve the life of the other 8 million people in Hong Kong? How? Well, I think this, this, the, there are a lot of mechanisms that you can do. It. You can do a large-scale urban redevelopment, but 
in order to do an urban redevelopment, you, you need land for decanting, right? Because if, if you know a well, lot so, of the uh, urban redevelopment projects, why it cannot go through is we do not have enough decanting space for doing all this redevelopment. So, so we are spending $1 trillion to decant urban development in Lantau? That's why I do it? Can I, can I bring in Jason Poon? A trillion dollars to decant? Jason, Jason Poon is, is still with us. I mean, the, it's kind of just common sense, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That we're, we're, we're living in a very, very congested area where, yes. where uh, we have tiny flats, we're squeezed in, and the, and the price is very, very mm-hmm. high. You give us more space mm-hmm. and we can expand. We can have a lower price mm-hmm. we, because the land will be more land, so uh, the price it's, it's will not, go down. We can have equation. larger flats. Mm-hmm. We just need a little bit of breathing room. And yeah, but my, the my, argument my, yeah. for this is wait, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. And this is for Jason Poon. <laughs> the, the argument would be that this just gives you that breathing room uh-huh. and uh, a land bank as well. <clears throat> and so for future reference as well. I think the land ban um, is not a. Uh, the, the concept of land bans equivalent to the living standards or equivalent to the living um, space per capita is not a eco science. That means in Hong Kong, we don't, I don't think, I never say, I never think Hong Kong is, is licking of lands. We have much lands, but yeah. we, the, the problem is the government don't have a policy to drive it to use the lands properly. The problem is, I, 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 I recall the message from Andy, Andy saying that um, the provision of the land to more visions may there, provide there are more a million land. problems with the land that we have the, the ownership is, is is very complicated the it's already being used mm-hmm. uh, in, in many cases so you've got to you've got to deal with that mm-hmm. in many cases it's unsuitable of course a lot of it is is mountainous uh, and so on mm-hmm. you've got it you with the prospect of a big flat area mm-hmm. to which you can put uh transport links mm-hmm. why not um, no, it, it doesn't mean uh, we are talking about the Tomorrowland, um, the Lantau Tomorrow Visions. The Lantau Tomorrow Vision is providing an additional 1,000 hectares of lands. Um, first of all, first of all, I, I think even the, our Hong Kong Foundation is not clarifying it. In, uh, we, 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 we recall the reclamation in Central and One Tribe. In Central One Tribe, we built hundreds of hectares in the downtown of Hong Kong. You know how much of the lands is being used for developing the buildings. There is only 22%, 23% of lands is being used for the buildings of blocks, including accommodation for the business, accommodation for the people's hotels and more, etc. Overall, that means in the 1,000 hectares in the, tomorrow, in the land out tomorrow visions, we have only 2.5 million of the um, 2.5 million square meters of the lands is to be used for constructing fast units. That that amount of the land is not Is that able. a fair comparison if you look at reclamation around... Oh, it's fair. Well, it's I mean, fair. West Kowloon is a cultural you can project, see, so you can see, You can see the legislative paper. You've got the reclamation along the, the, the north side of Hong Kong Island, no, but you, that's mm. for spe- specific you know, infrastructure requirements. I so always it's not really, Is that a fair comparison? A uh, fair comparison. Now, the, the, the Central and Wan Chai reclamation is mainly used for the connection of the northern part of Hong Kong and um, in Hong Kong Islands and the costing harbour between Kowloon and Hong Kong. In, 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 in Lantau Tomorrow Vision, we are Sam's. We are Sam's. We have three links. The links is 
of the new reclamation is linking the Lantau Islands, linking Hong Kong Island, and linking the uh, western part of the Hong Kong. That means in the government paper, I mean in the uh, legislative consultation, consultation papers, the government already set up six lumbers of the main walls and railways to be built on the islands. If you count this, this space using by this only these six whales and walls, these already occupy half of the island's areas. So there is only half of the island areas. Wouldn't the railways be underground? No. <laughs> if, if you are doing reclamations, it's not necessary to do everything underground. The underground is expensive, much expensive than overgrounds or on ones. And walls, for walls, if you are talking about rebuild all the walls underground by corridors or by but, tunnels, but it, the it railway, doesn't make sense. The railway can't get to Hong Kong Island Overland, no, no. can it? No, no. The railway, the Hong Kong government is proposing to connect the Hong Kong islands and the reclamation area with wall and rails. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, uh, I, echo Jason, you're right. Mm-hmm. In fact, the government did a study. Uh, can the links handle the traffic between Lantau tomorrow to Hong Kong and also the traffic from Northwest New Territory via Route 11? The conclusion is either you're very congestion, or you raise a toll fare to de- uh, to uh, discourage traffic. Mm. So I raised that point earlier in the first half that the transportation network or LTV simply cannot support the idea that the government proposed. Mm. The transportation is not workable. And also it would sort of totally disrupt, destroy the Kennedy Town area uh, development. Do you know how congested Kennedy Town now is already? Can you imagine tunnels connecting the uh, land out tomorrow into Kennedy Town. That's simply not workable. Mm. I think if, uh, since you were talking about infrastructure, I, I think I can add something. Uh, since, you t- uh, since you're talking about the connection between new territories and, uh, and, 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 and land out tomorrow and also the Hong Kong Island, and I think that is another benefit that this uh, project will bring to us. That is another transport corridor, right, that uh, connect new territories with the Hong Kong Islands. And that is something people living in the new territory west has been called for, you know, has been called for for many years, right? But, uh, but, Ryan, every- but Ryan, I just point out that transportation cannot support the benefit that you claim. You said the benefit, but the structure does not support to realize the benefit because it's too congested. One link between Lantau tomorrow and Hong Kong, they support 700,000 people in the island, Think about typhoon. Think about number eight signal. How do you how do you evacuate seven hundred thousand people from this island in the middle of the sea, what, five they- kilometer away from Hong Kong? How? Never mind your benefit. Your benefit cannot be realized because the congestion what? on the sorry. island. Sorry, the Tom. Why would you have to evacuate them? So uh, exactly, I, I think uh, uh, there, there are two points that uh, I want to make. One is uh, think about one is, one, one is firstly we, we should let the government do all the feasibility study and planning and engineering studies. And that is the government is planning to do, right? We cannot have a lot more conclusion before having that. That's the first point. The second point is, well, we do, the, the second right, point right, is right. literally, we do not need to evacuate all the people, right? Uh, not evacuate, uh, the, but the simply, whole, the going whole Hong, home, simply going home. I mean, the whole, the whole of Hong Kong 
will be affected by typhoon, right? And, uh, and the, I mean, the whole more, Hong Kong is not in the middle of an no, island, 1,000 hectares. The Hong Kong island itself is an island, right? If you're talking, if you're talking about, if you're talking about, uh, if you're talking about Hong uh, Kong is 140 square kilometer. Tom, Tom, if I may, I mean, I mean, half, nearly half of the Hong Kong population is living near the sea. I mean, so if you're talking about evac evacuating people uh, during a typhoon, so you, you have to evacuate half million people, uh, half fifty percent of people in Hong Kong, and I think um, on the one new, lake, I think, on, I, one and lake, I think the new, and I think the new island actually has a additional benefit, right? Because it is a new structure, it is a new design, so you there is a chance for you to put in new technology and new design that is climate resilient. Uh, Andy, Andy, what is climate resilient? resilient? <laughs> and I think you'll have to go back to Monday's back chat to find out what climate resilience is. And that was Ryan Epp from Our Hong Kong Foundation with Jason Poon, the Managing Director of China Technology, and Tom Yam from the Citizen Task Force on Land Supply, speaking to Mike Rouse and Hugh Chiverton. Since we're on a bit of a Lantau theme today, I have selected Monday's Trash Talk, where Marcy Trent Long talks to Dana Winograd from Plastic Free Seas on their recent discovery of black microplastic waste on a Discovery Bay beach. It's only affecting one small beach in Discovery Bay, which it makes it really interesting. It's not affecting the main beach or the beach to the north. It's not affecting even mangroves really close by to this beach. But it's one small beach in a very small bay. So you would think that finding the source would be easier than something that was affecting a, a wide line of, of shoreline. So late July, I was notified that there was some black stuff washing up on this one particular beach. So I went down, and this is not a very accessible beach. You have to climb over a fence, scramble down some rocks. <laughs> it's very tidal. Good exercise. Yes, very good exercise. It's very tidal. So you, at high tide, there is no beach. And then at low tide, it's very low, and it gets very murky. And So you have to kind of be there at the right time. But I went down there and realized that this was something that looked very much like the infill from a sports pitch. So, of course, I started having a look around, and we have two pitches in Discovery Bay, and I quickly established that it didn't seem to be the same crumb as they were using on the Discovery College sports pitch, which is actually the closest pitch. Right, that's the ESF school that's there, the, right? Exactly. And, uh, but it looked quite similar to the crumb that is used on the North Plaza pitch, which is managed by um, a city management... Company as part of Hong Kong Resorts, you know, who manages the entire Discovery Bay. Right. And so the pitches are sports pitches for soccer, for rugby. American. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So they're artificial grass. They tend to use a rubber crumb um, to help with its um, – gives a padding. It helps to keep the grass up. It's just part of what they use globally. Yeah, and it, it helps you stick to the – so you don't slip out, right? It probably has to – and it's also, I think, helps with um, growth of mold and all that kind of stuff. So, But it's not necessarily healthy stuff. No, there's been a lot of discussion over the years as to whether this is carcinogenic. I, I, but that's not something that I am actually focusing on at the moment. Right. But there is – there has been that issue as well. Right. So just yet another part of the darker picture, though, uh, potentially of this. So, all right. So 
And two tons has come out over the last year. Right. Probably it's two tons that over two tons that have been removed. Now, that, of course, includes water. I did a little test at home in water and over two days it uh, increased in in weight by 50 percent. So already you've got excess water in the weight that you're you're pulling out of the from the from the sea. And then you've got leaf debris and shells and whatever. So it's probably not that high of a volume of the actual crumbs, but it's impossible to to estimate otherwise. Okay. It's still over a ton, I would say. That's a lot. It's, and it's huge. And Trash Talkers, Dana's been out there at the beach um, exercising her muscles, but, you know, it's been pretty hard just in the heat actually gathering up a lot of this stuff. But the Marine Department did come out and help you a bit. Yes, no, I have to say the Marine Department was very responsive. Luckily, because of what we do at Plastic Free Seas, we have a lot of good contacts. So I was able to contact the correct department on the evening, even though it was quite late, and they had a team out the next morning. Now, unfortunately, the team wasn't prepared, as I had recommended them to be, but we had a lot of extra equipment, so they were able to get to work, and and soon after, they brought more. And they were there for two days, and in those two days, I can't remember the volume, but it was quite a quite a bit. It. And then I believe it started to rain, perhaps. So the it kind of stopped. And then the following week, I realized the problem was still there. So I called the Marine Department again, <laughs> and they came back. But what was interesting was quite quickly on, I asked them about their investigation, because obviously you have this vast amount of, of pollution in the water. Of course, you're going to do an investigation. And they said... The Marine Department said, well, that's that would be the EPD. They have a special task force on that. And I said, oh, great. So they've they've started. Right. And they said, no, would you would you like us to contact them? <laughs> so I said, yes, please. <laughs> so it did then get handled by the EPD and they did a uh, they started an investigation, which they I'm not sure would have continued on without my pushing. So then let's talk a little bit about that. So because you've done obviously your own investigation as well. And it's more of, you know, just for the listeners to understand how could all these crumbs get from a pitch uh, to your nearby beach? Very good question. Thank you. So uh, there on this particular pitch, there is uh, storm drains running around three sides of the pitch. Now, you don't always have storm drains around a pitch. Sometimes they're hidden underneath, but you always have drainage. And storm drains always lead to the sea. Mm-hmm. So, of course, anything that's coming off of the pitch is going to lead to the sea. Now, I have no uh, access to the storm drains in Discovery Bay because they're not held by the government. They're held by Hong Kong resorts and they haven't shared them. But I know they're going to the sea because if not, it would be flooded there. Um, We did see a huge amount of these, this infill in and around the the storm drains. So we know for a fact that the infill is getting into the storm drains and we know that there is what appears to be infill washing up on the beach. So I can only surmise that there's a link, but of course we, we don't know for sure. Right. And so that's the investigation that you're hoping that the government does. And the government, you know, Plastic Free Seas was kind of founded on a huge plastic pellets bill. And from that came, I I thought, some kind of a government plan to deal with these marine spills. Exactly. So after the 2012 plastic pellet spill, what came out of that was um, an interdepartmental working group 
on clean shorelines. And they were they were made up of a number of, of groups within the government, the first ever, I think, interdepartmental working group to come together to solve these marine incidences. Now, it changed slightly in 2018 and became what's called the Interdepartmental Working Group on Marine Environmental Management, which actually I think sounds great because it's it's management, which should include prevention as well as cleanup. Now, unfortunately, all... The focus has been on cleanup, and they've done well. Today, again, they're back there. Um, The Marine Department is back there. That's great. The EPD is in control of the investigation and, therefore, the cleanup. So um, upon instruction from the EPD, the Marine Department will go out to clean now, and they were there today, although I did call them last week, and it they didn't respond immediately, which was a little bit disappointing. So I went out and I got about 50 kilograms of, oh, of crumbs. Um, but the, the, the worrying thing is, is that along with those changes in 2018, they came up with a task force on emergency response to marine environmental incidences. So that says that they thought it was very important to have this emergency response plan in place, which was the goal of since 2012. And unfortunately, I I don't see that it's in place well enough. The, the cleanup has been done quite well, but uh, looking into the source of the investigation doesn't seem to be a, a priority. And also, I've asked them now, you know, if if my neighbor found a problem tomorrow night, a marine incident of, you know, the same sort of um, level, what should they do? Who do they call? And I haven't, they weren't able to answer me. <laughs> so for everyone out there, the first thing you do, as far as I'm concerned, is call 1823. Okay. That's the emergency hotline for a number of governmental departments. Unfortunately, under COVID, it was a bit shut down for a while, not working at full capacity. But as far as I know, for the general public, that's your best route. But honestly, at this point, they need to have a better emergency response plan in place than just telling people to call 1823. Or 1823 has to know what that next step is. And that was Dana Winograd from Plastic Free Seas speaking to Marcy Trentlong on Trash Talk on Monday's 123 show. Right, time now to wrap up the program, and I'll leave you with a talking point on Steve James's afternoon drive on his Thursday program, and it was a 1940s Glenn Miller classic reworked by the band Chicago, In the Mood. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend.
The weather before the news today is mainly cloudy with one or two showers, sunny intervals during the day. Maximum temperature will be around 30 degrees Celsius. The temperature right now is 28 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity at 78%.